Lord, we gather today and in this moment confess, which just means we tell the truth about how we are. And the truth is for many of us that we are incredibly tired, not just body tired, but soul tired, tired of watching body counts on the news, tired of witnessing communities of faith attacked, tired of seeing images of hundreds of men and women and children and infants fleeing on foot from dangerous and threatening circumstances for the hope of a better life. We are tired of hearing about mail bombs. We are tired of hearing partisan hostility. We are tired of trying to explain this to our kids. We are tired. And also, sometimes we get tired of trying to hope. Sometimes it's exhausting to try so hard to believe and to trust, and we just have to confess that sometimes we don't know how. And so we are grateful that in your presence, we have found a place where it is safe to tell the truth. And we bring this truth to you, and we hear your amazing and gracious invitation when you say, are you tired and weary? Come to me, and I will give you rest. Learn from me. Walk with me, and I will show you how to do it my way. You are not a stranger, Lord, to violence or oppression or bad news. And so we ask that you would take us under your wing, that you would make us your apprentices, that we could watch you and learn from you and listen from you, that you would give us space and time to both grieve and to rest, and that you would teach us how hope is not something that we have to muster up. We ask that we would hear your invitation in the words that are spoken here tonight, and we ask that your spirit would give us courage to take you up on your invitation. And we ask this together. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to read out of Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at poetry. And I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to this great prophet who has led us over the last few weeks. And if you do not have a Bible, we have some friends who have Bibles. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. So just raise your hand, and somebody would be glad to bring you a Bible. If you do not own a Bible, you can keep this as your own. If you just need to borrow it for the evening, just leave it on your seat uh, at the conclusion of our service. Somebody will come and pick it up. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. And I I want you to hear the Word of the Lord out of this amazing piece of poetry for us this evening. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the, for- at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. 
In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safe near, safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with the people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring, to bring people back, the remnant of his people, those who remain in Assyria and northern Egypt and southern Egypt, Ethiopia and Elam, in Babylonia, Hamath, and all the distant coastlands. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. The prophet Isaiah is a poet. Now, poetry, as we just heard Robin Williams say so brilliantly, poetry saturates us in an idea. It's a vision that's graced to us with with just mere words. And the prophet is an absolute genius at poetry. Poetry is rich, and it's slow, and it needs to be contemplated. It doesn't fit well in this fast-paced world of ours. It needs to be chewed on. It needs to be thought about. Poetry has the capability to touch our spirit. It speaks to the, to the soul, and it uncovers that which is real in our world, and it moves us towards that which is real. Poetry discloses who we are. It It shows us the way in which the world really is, and it can lift us out of the rut and put us on a path towards a new hopeful reality. When tweets and hashtags and posts are about communication in a virtual world, Isaiah's poetry, Isaiah's poetry is about the real world, and it's about the world that God intends. So there was a lady, a woman of the Hopi Indian tribe in Arizona, and she said she had two sons. She said one was an engineer. He made stuff. He designed stuff. He built stuff. Her other son was a poet. He wrote stuff. He talked about stuff. He dreamed about stuff. And she said, I have two sons, one son that is very practical, and the other one is an engineer. Isaiah is practical. As a poet, he's practical. He takes us into the real world. He finds ways to describe the world as it ought to be, and he has a vision of the way in which the world is to become. His poem is what we call eschatological. Now, eschatology is a word that has lost its meaning. For the last 100, 150 years, it's been kicked around like an abused dog. Uh, big-haired TV evangelists, preachers have taken this word and they've, they've attached a, a message that is apocalyptic, uh, complete with end times predictions. And as a young kid, the as- eschatological sermons that I would hear were usually something that were connected to fire and brimstone. And, and I would want to close my ears and I would want to shut my eyes and, and I would want to run away. But now, I watch these TV preachers for entertainment because it's fun. 
And it's funny, and I really enjoy listening to terrible theology. You know something is terrible, or you know something, rather, is good theology because it is good news. It's good news for those who came before us. It's good news for us in the present. It is good news for our future, and it is good news for everyone. If it is not good for everyone, for past, present, and future, it's not good theology. It's not good eschatology. Well, wrapped up in this definition of eschatology is a picture. It's what philosophers call a telos. It's an idea or it's a goal. It's a vision of the way in which the world is supposed to be. And ours is a tradition that believes that God is in the business of remaking and restoring and reordering and healing and transforming all things. We did not make up the line that we said in our creed. We all long for transformation. This is not something that Mikhail and I made up before we started the church. This is actually a historical statement. It's a statement that the people in our past would say. It's a statement of the saints. But it is also a hopeful, futuristic statement that is inherent to who we are as the people of God. By saying that we long for transformation, it's, it's what we mean, it's what we believe when we say that, that we are Christian. So in light of this, I think we need to be asking this question. Where is God moving all things and redeeming all things? Now, contrary to popular opinion, prophets in the Old Testament were, were not psychics and they were not fortune tellers. Instead, they were immersed in the, in the reality, the, the happenings of the present day. They were fully present to what God was doing and what was truly happening in the world, even if it was not obvious to everyone. So in his poem, Isaiah the prophet indicates that this new age of God is on the brink of bursting forth onto the scene. God is what is happening, Isaiah. God is what is happening in the real world, even though there are others, especially great political leaders, leaders like the ones in Assyria and Israel and the United States today. He says that God is on the brink of bursting forth, even though you and I might not be able to see it. Isaiah's declaration is that God's new age is here. And it's like this small plant, he says, that breaks up through the concrete. It's so fragile, and yet at the same time, it is so strong. In the middle of the chaotic exile, that is the Assyrian exile, this was what was happening historically when Isaiah is writing his, writing his poem. In the middle of ex this chaotic exile a violent time that can only be described in metaphor, where this grand forest is, that was once Israel is chopped down to the stumps by the world's superpower of the day, Assyria, and his deplorable, its deplorable leader, Tiglath-Pileser III. Isaiah says that it's in that scene, a scene where, a scene where the forest is cut down to the stumps, that a sprout will emerge, and it will come off a rotten stump. He says it will be, it will be a shoot off, the, off of King David's family tree, and the Lord will rest on this one, and this one will usher in a new age. It will be a new reality, and the world will 
be set right. He says that his rule will be different than any other ruler. Think about this. Think about the political rulers you know. His rule will be different than any other ruler. The life-giving spirit of God will hover over him. He will have wisdom and understanding. He will be the great judge, but he will not judge on appearances. He won't listen to people's gossip. He will not listen to their lies or their rumors. He will seek out the truth. He will rule by what is needed and what is right for the world, and his actions will be just, and everyone will be in awe. And the whole earth, all of creation, and everything in it will be made right. Now, the Jewish word that describes this scene is shalom. We translate it peace, but it's, but it's more than peace. The vision of shalom is so much more than just peace, and it's so much more than just the absence of violence or war. What shalom means is that the normal things that we see in our world every single day are actually revealed to be abnormal. The things that you see happening, those are not right. That is not the way it is supposed to be. Those are actually abnormal things. Think about the things in our current climate that have in our in our current cultural climate that have been normalized. We have come to the place where we think that terrorism is now normal, whether it's international terrorism or it's domestic terrorism. Misogyny, xenophobia, Racism, assault, all normal. It's just the way the world is. Violence in a house of worship has become normal. Discussions over gun violence has normalized our abnormalities. You know, even even our nation's leader is the embodiment of what it means to normalize abnormalities. Because he tries to convince all who will listen that abnormal is the new normal. And in fairness, almost all political leaders are this way in history, both on the right and on the left, including Tiglath-Pileser III. But daily, there is a tweet or a soundbite that attempts to convince the public that there is a conspiracy out there, or there is a witch hunt, or there is attack. You cannot believe what you're actually hearing. You cannot believe what's being reported to you. And at the same time, we have these soundbites and these tweets. There is this more sinister cultural narrative that is subtly and consistently being communicated to us. It's a narrative that goes like this. The top is the best. The rules do not apply when you are a winner, when you are the greatest, when you are a billionaire or a millionaire or you are a celebrity. The narrative that, is, that we receive every single day is boys will be boys, it is just what it is. Locker room banter is what everyone does. Hashtag fake news. Uh, quote, deals are, are the source of progress. There's a narrative out there that personal and complete authority is not to be earned, it is to be demanded. There is a narrative, there is no need to share land, wealth, or ideals. There's a narrative out there that we create enemies, and then when we have enemies, we destroy our enemies. There is a larger narrative that it is America first. And when we look back over the history of Christianity, 
the, it is no wonder that the early Christians of the first century in Rome look back on this poem of Isaiah's and they saw Jesus of Nazareth in these words. They saw Jesus in these words. They said that Jesus was the vision. He was the picture. He was the new embodiment. They said that Jesus is the shalom. But not only that, he was the one who is going to usher in the shalom that we all need. Think about the story that you know about Jesus. Born a babe in a manger, and yet at the same time, he was a threat to Herod and the powers that be. He was a shoot, a branch, coming off chopped down stumps, so vulnerable and yet so young. They even called him the the great Lord, the Lord, greater than Caesar. They announced his title to be king, and they said his kingdom was like no other they had ever seen before. They said that he and his kingdom flipped everything they knew about the way the world really worked. They said that that he flipped this upside down, that, that he flipped the world as it is. The normal became abnormal, and he did it like this. Look at this. The top is the best, and a new narrative is created. The least is the greatest. The rules don't apply when you're a winner, the greatest, a billionaire, or a celebrity, versus the rules don't apply because grace is offered to the loser, the worst, the least, the poorest, the outcast. Boys will be boys is just what it is, versus the new embodiment, prostitutes, or those who are victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse are lofted and lifted to human standard. Locker room banter, everyone does it, versus mercy is offered and compassion is given. Hashtag fake news, hashtag the truth will set you free. Deals are the source of progress. No, 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 no. In the new age, sacrifice leads to abundant life. Personal and complete authority is not earned but demanded. In the new age, worship the Lord your God and worship him only. In the old age, you do not need to share your land, your wealth, your ideas versus give your coat, your cloak, carry the pack of your enemy and walk the extra mile. In the old age, create enemies and destroy your enemies. But in the one that Jesus ushered in, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. In the old age, nationalism, America first. And in the new age, welcome the alien and the stranger that is among you. Don't blame me. This is the biblical text. This is Isaiah's vision. It is the goal. It is the telos. This is his eschatology. It is one of shalom. And Christians have said that Isaiah's vision is revealed and embodied in Jesus the Nazarene. Son of God is what they called him. Son of David, born of the Virgin Mary, the one who suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and he was buried. He descended to the dead. He was weak to death. But then three days later, he ascended and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And it is from here that he will come to judge the living and the dead. In other words, he will come to make this world right. And he will do it by ushering in shalom. 
shalom, the shalom that we all hope for, shalom that we all long for. He's the good news of our past. He is the reality of our present, and he is the hope of our future. He is, the early church said, the promise that this world will give way to opportunity, and it'll give way to justice and mercy and faith, and above everything else, it will give way to love. The future that we all hope for is a future of love, embodied love. Shalom is the fullness of love. We want people to know this future. We want people to know that they, they we want them to, to have a deep sense that they are loved. We want them to be a part of a community and to know, each one of you as a pastor, I want you to know and have a community that loves you. I want you to understand and know that shalom is love and it permeates and and holds and nurtures and provides for and cares for and, and meets your needs. When Christians say that Jesus died for this, this is an eschatological statement because it transforms. And when they say that he's been resurrected, it is this death and resurrection is a demonstration of the fragility of the Son of God, that he was vulnerable to death, and when he was resurrected, he had a power over death. It is a demonstration that love is yours to be had. It's offered to you now. You know, the Bible never asks the question if God exists. It never tries to make an argument. The Bible is no apologetic. Instead, it uniquely asks the question, what kind of God exists? Well, Isaiah would say it's a God that is interested in creating a world of shalom. Can you imagine? Think about Isaiah's passage. Think about his poem. Can you imagine for real a world where children can play in a cobra's nest and not be harmed? Obviously, it's metaphor there. But children are in danger wherever we go. Can you imagine with me calves and lions eating the same trough? Can you imagine with me that in the new age, even the natural order of the world is transformed? Can you dream with me about cows and bears playing together? What, it, what would it be like if, if the one Isaiah was speaking of could reorder the world in such a way so that lions and oxen no longer needed to, uh, no longer, that lions no longer needed to attack the oxen and they could just eat straw out of the same trough? Is this something that you could imagine? It's difficult to do, and I will admit that it is difficult to do. It's a difficult task, especially in light of the violence that we saw again yesterday and throughout the week with mail bombs and the shooting up of, of worship spaces. It's a difficult thing to imagine. We are forced to hold Isaiah's image in one hand, and then in the other hand, we have images of another senseless act of violence. And we as people of faith need to ask the question, how is it that we deal with this tension that we're in? How do we hold on to the vision and yet be honest about the grief and the fear of living in a world where these abnormalities have become normal? How do we read this poem through the life of Jesus? I think it's important that we read this poem through the lens of the cross. 
The crucifixion of Jesus was the violent event in history. The cross of Jesus is a symbol for us. We have it in our church. Not because it is decorative, but we live in a world where heinous acts of violence take place. And his crucifixion forces us to live in this honest tension. But we look at this we look at this cross and we're reminded of this cross and we're reminded of what happened on the cross because it calls for a response. When violence in our world happens, will we, will we act out with more violence or will we act out with less? It's a hard thing to get our minds wrapped around. It's a hard thing for us to believe, but it is not a hard thing to live into by faith. We can love our neighbor. We can pray for our enemy. We can seek out justice. And we can do this together. The cross is not a decorative piece. It's a helpful symbol that in this world of violence, we don't have to respond in the world in a violent way because Jesus is the demonstration. Jesus is the invitation and Jesus is the empowerment to his people. He's the way by which we can together choose another way. Shalom can literally be our reality. And Isaiah's vision is for a community, a community called out group of people, regular folks like the ones who worship at the 8th Street Church who trust in faith that by the love of the Father and the ministry of the Son and the power of the Spirit, that they can begin together to actively live into this eschatology and they can actively live out of this eschatology together. We are invited to embody and usher in this new age and proclaim it to the world as a reality. This vision, this poem, is not a wish upon a star. It's not something that happens somewhere over, over the rainbow. It's not in a galaxy far, far away. It's not in even the power of positive thinking, and we don't even call it optimism. What we have before us is a real community, a community that has said together that we want to be a community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. We long for transformation. We see these normal things in our world and we name them as abnormal. And then we behave in such a way so that the poem is happening in and through and all around us. Like Isaiah says, we can imagine it and we can see it and we can know that it just ain't right for kids to not have enough to eat in our neighborhood. We can see it and we know that it's just not right for babies not to have parents for the rich to get richer while the poor get poorer, for churches to be only one race. We know it just ain't right for people in Pakistan to watch their children starve and for violence to have the last word. We carry a hope within us and a longing for transformation. We carry this for our families and we carry it for our communities and we carry it for our schools and we carry it for our city and we carry, about, we carry it for this environment. We carry it for those who are seeking asylum. We carry it for people who are of their different religions. We carry it for our government, and we even carry it for our politicians and our leaders. I know this woman who was in my class at Southern Nazarene University. She was longing for this type of transformation better than anybody else I'd ever seen. 
She had babies at 17 and 19 years old. Her life had been a struggle. Her mom and her dad had rejected her early. She's done life on her own since she was a middle teenager. She was, uh, she, she had, she's experienced loneliness and a lack of resources. She lives in a world where she constantly has to make tough decisions. She's working, going to school, trying to better her life, and at the same time trying to get her kid through school. He's been a victim of bullying, and she tries to get him through and build him, up, build him up while at the same time she's trying to pay for gasoline. And as I was talking to her, she looked at me, and she said with a whisper, Someday, Jesus, it's going to happen for us. Someday, oh, Lord, sweet Jesus, someday. You know, It's the people of the 8th Street Church who are the poem. You are Isaiah's vision. Someday, for one another and for my friend, someday is today. Jesus said, it is coming and it is here and we have seen glimpses of it and we work. We commit ourselves to this vision in faith, and in hope so that it can be fully revealed for the entire world to see. It is in grace that we are saved and that we participate with hope that this small, tiny, little community called the 8th Street Church can embody this large eschatological vision. So how do we do that? Well, we we habit ourselves into this vision. We practice ourselves into it. We act into the hope that we have. My friend Scott Daniel says, we story this vision into our lives. And the story that shapes us is the one that we practice here every single week. It's the story that's revealed to us at the Lord's table. We come to this table And when we come to this table, we remember the cross. And in faith and in hope, we proclaim that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. It is in Him we find our salvation, and it is in Him that we believe that all of creation will be reordered. It will be restored. It will be recreated. We who are Isaiah's vision... We come to this table, and it is from this table that the vision is lived out. So imagine with me. I've read it to you once, but imagine this with me. In that day, the wolf will and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them. The cow and the The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the seas, so the earth will be filled with the people who know the Lord. And that day... The heir to David's throne, whom we know as Jesus of Nazareth, will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. It is at this table 
where we believe that the new ordered creation begins in a community such as this, the 8th Street Church. Thanks be to God. This table of our Lord is the starting place where we believe that the new shalom will be established. It is the way we practice this story into our lives. So I want to remind you that Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, by those he came to save, took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you, and whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant that comes in my blood, and whenever you drink this, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. At our church, we have an open table because we want all who are open to the transforming work of Christ to come. You are welcome if you come with hope, and you are welcome to be a part of this community of Shalom. It is at this table where a new community is established. It is at this table where a new age is ushered in. Everyone who is open to believe this good work and wants to receive the grace that comes from God and God only is welcome to this table. It is here at this table where we live into this tension. We follow the one who has been the victim of violence in the world and yet who says to his friends, do not worry, I have overcome it. I want to let you know that we want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free, our wine is non-alcoholic, and I want to invite you to this table. Exit the left side of your row, move down one of our aisles, but come with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion at at our church. We receive it because we believe it is a gift. So approach one of these servers, listen to what they have to say, dip the bread into the cup, and be thankful that you are a part of a new community called Shalom. If for any reason you cannot come down our aisle, we'd love to come and serve you. So just wave at Allison, wherever she might be. Here she is, just wave at her, and she would love to come and present the elements to you. But I want to invite you to this table of hope and transformation, my friends. So when you are ready, I invite you to...